0: hello everybody we are jumping into our next episode in the gospel of luke and in this section we're going to be looking at luke chapter 2 verses 21 through 38 and like i've done in previous podcasts i'm gonna just hit some highlights in there there's just no way for me to tackle all of it so a few things To make observations about things that maybe you can think more about in your own personal study so hopefully some of these ideas can be encouraging to you let me start with the first one it seems that luke goes out of his way to parallel john the baptist and jesus's birth narratives in all sorts of ways so one of the things that you could do is look at those two narrative stories and write down all the parallel statements or descriptions that you find with John and Jesus's birth narratives. Uh, Make a list and see what you come up with. And you might be surprised at some of the things that you see. It might produce some insight or reflection that you find really helpful, thought-provoking and lead you to worship. So one obvious example would be the angels showing up, of course, and both of them receiving names that are given by the angel. Another idea, of course, would be the extremely unusual scenarios involving both birth stories, right? And then one that I noticed was the way it spoke of john the baptist as growing uh, by the spirit in wisdom and strength and it says the same for jesus but it says more it says more about jesus uh, in that description so if you were to look at those parallels you might find some cool stuff worth thinking about one of the things that I wanted to zoom in on a little bit more was the, the dedication that happens. Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple. And as they do, there are certain things that they, they follow from the law. And so I just wanted to look up some of those passages so you understand what's going on with why Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, why they bring what they bring. the temple and so let me just read a couple passages to you the first one is in Exodus chapter 13 verses 11 through 16 it says when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb all the firstborn of your animals that our males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn uh, of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks, what does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborns of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark. On your hand were frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. I mean, there's a lot to think about there, right? Obviously, the idea of firstborns, and Jesus will be Mary and Joseph's firstborn, and in the context of God rescuing the people out of the slavery they're in in Egypt. And Jesus has come to rescue the people out of their slavery. And of course, what everybody thinks is the slavery to the Roman Empire. And that's not quite the slavery that Jesus comes to rescue the people from. He comes to rescue them from the slavery that they're in due to sin and to destroy, as John says in 1 John chapter 3, uh, the works of the devil. Jesus will come to conquer death, and it will be the ultimate uh, slavery that humanity is rescued from. And Jesus, of course, will be going into death uh, to conquer it. A lot there to connect with and think about. Leviticus 12 speaks of the purification of a woman when she bears a male child she's unclean for seven days and then on the eighth day the child we read in leviticus 12 is to be circumcised and she's to go through a process of purification not touching anything holy or coming into the sanctuary until her time of purification is complete and so that's interesting. And In the days of her purifying, when they're completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of a tent, a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a tur- turtle dove for a sin offering. And the, and the Lord shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean from her flow of blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, two turtle loves, or two pigeons, and this is what Mary and Joseph bring. It's just that, because they can't afford a lamb. And so they bring that. Um, So some context there for why they're bringing those animals for a sacrifice. Numbers 3.13, God says, all the firstborn are mine. So it's that similar language to what we read before. So, the, the baby dedications, Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus to the temple, just wanted to provide a little context there um, for that. Next, number three. They encounter Mary and Joseph and Jesus. They Sorry, that's my dog. My dog probably just saw a squirrel outside. So I'll just keep going. Simeon um, is somebody waiting at the temple area, and he encounters Mary and Joseph. And Luke says he has been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Okay? He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then we're also going to encounter um, another person named Anna who was with those who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So the first thing that I just wanna think about real quick is how Jesus's story relates to the story of Israel in the Bible. And I'm just curious, I'm asking you to think about your experiences as you've grown up in the church and done your personal study How have you experienced the story of Jesus? Have you experienced it more through the lens of the Gospels and the New Testament? Or have you experienced it more through the lens of the Old Testament? So what would be problematic if we just experienced it through the lens of just the Gospels themselves and and what that means for the Christian life and thinking about the New Testament letters If we just ignore the Old Testament storyline and how Jesus connects to it, I think that that's going to produce significant gaps in us understanding what the gospel writers are communicating and then also gaps in how I'm to read um, forward into the letters because it seems to me that these all function together as one big story and the relationship of how the new testament people of god relate to the old testament people of god is something that is worth thinking a lot about um, there, there's a particular line of thinking that i i just find uh problematic um so i'll just i'll tell you what it is Uh, It's called Dispensationalism. We may have talked about this before, and uh, there might be some of you who are going to listen to this and you disagree with me, and that is all good. But my concern with Dispensationalism is how it brackets the story of Jesus and the Gospels, separating them from the story of Israel um, and making it connect to the letters in the New Testament as if the Christian life is a story that began at the Gospels and does not have roots in the Old Testament. Um, th- this is the experience that I've had um, in in that theological tradition. And that seems to me to be um, going in the wrong direction with how the Gospel writers are thinking about Jesus. They're, they're thinking back to the story of Israel and how Jesus fulfills this story and how we are a part of that uh, people of God that Jesus is restoring. Just a thought. So Anna and Simeon got me thinking about that. They're waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, here's something else the the word consolation actually has its roots in the old testament and i actually didn't know this until i was hunting around and looking at this stuff as i was prepping for this so this is kind of cool for me Um, but the word consolation comes straight from isaiah 40. so if i look at Isaiah 40, it says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. And that word comfort is the word um, paraklesis, paraklesis. That's what the consolation of Israel was that Simeon's waiting for in Luke 2. He's waiting for the paraklesis of Israel the encouragement the comfort of israel and that is a direct hyperlink to isaiah 40. and you, I, you probably don't have isaiah 40 on the brain 24 7 right i mean none of us do but what does isaiah 40 uh, talk about you might you might remember i've brought it up a few times but isaiah 40 is the place in isaiah where there's a hinge from God's judgment that he's bringing on the people of God for their disobedience and exiling them to now the promise to restore them and bring them back and this is the the chapter where we read about a voice crying in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord I mean that's straight up John the Baptist stuff and the glory of the Lord being revealed and then we encounter the phrase good news in verse 9 of chapter 40 that there's a there's good news god is showing up and he's going to show up with with might and his arm is going to rule and he's going to gather his his flock his sheep in his arms so this is a a significant phrase and to hear that this guy Simeon is waiting for the the consolation of Israel gets us thinking back to that so again Old Testament's a big deal and it gets us re- thinking again of the um, it gets us thinking of the the big three that they were waiting for they're waiting for the, the king to show up they're waiting for God to show up in his temple and they're waiting to be uh, delivered from exile. So I wanted you to just be aware of that, thinking about that. And then let's real quick talk about the other one that we encounter who is waiting around at the temple. Her name is Anna. And actually something that my wife brought up the other day, I thought was super cool she is reading this book by Nijay gupta who actually was a, a guy that my wife and i went to seminary with and i forget the name of the book but it's about women in the bible so Nijay n-i-n-j-a-y gupta g-u-p-t-a and in this book Nijay highlights that luke always has a parallel story where there's a guy and then a parallel story of a girl, and that—that's an intentional literary design. And the man, the more I think about that, that—that's a pretty common thing that Luke does. So we have Zachariah encountering the angel, right, in John the Baptist birth narrative, and then Mary, she encounters the angel. And here we have Simeon, who was at the temple waiting for the kingdom of god and who else is mentioned but anna so simeon and anna are are parallels. simeon was promised that he would see the lord's christ before he died and he's uh i'm sure he's older when he finally gets to see jesus but luke tells us of anna the, the prophetess who's been at the temple for years she's been fasting she's been praying When she's waited for the redemption of Israel. And Luke provides cool little Easter eggs here. So I I thought, man, you got to hear about this, guys. So one thing we're told is that she is 84 years old. Now, when you are told numbers in the Bible, they are very often intentional. And very often symbolic I don't mean that as they're not providing actual um, that, that the numbers should not be read l- literally um, she, she probably was 84 years old but there is a symbolic value to why I'm being told that she's 84 years old and so I'm I'm not trying to promote hidden bible code stuff but you've heard me talk before about numbers in the bible and there's a thing that was a pretty common thing in that day of gematria which the 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 letters in the alphabet represented a numerical value and matthew does this whole thing in his genealogy well just think about 84 for a second and math teachers are going to be digging this but if i think about a multiple Uh, or or factors uh, of 84, 12 and 7 are factors that, when multiplied, of course, make 84. How am I doing, math teachers? Does that work? And 12, obviously, is a super big deal. Uh, 12 represents Israel, and 7 represents completeness. So here you have Anna. She has been waiting for the restoration of Israel, the 12. She's been waiting for it to be restored, waiting for it to be completed. And it's a cool Easter egg, I think, that Luke adds in there. Oh, by the way, he adds a little bit more. Anna, we are told, is of the tribe of Asher. And, well, just do a little hunting. The word Asher means happy. It means happy. And I'm also told that she's the daughter of Fenuel. And you are ready? Fenuel means the face of God. So I think Luke has some fun with us here at the end by saying, Anna, do you know why you're so happy? It's because you have seen the face of God, and it's in this human baby. And Israel's being restored, the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel has occurred because they're going to be rescued and their rescue is going to come through this little child.